as you improve the functionality, you can get more budget, make the budget support enhancements and your product daily continuously increases and you know makes you more successful time and again. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm pleased to have Gautam Ajur here with me as our guest this week, and he's president and CEO of Alpha Omega Integration. Welcome to the podcast, Gautam. Thank you, Arman. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to be on the podcast. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Just a little bit about myself. I came into this country maybe about 26 years ago, August 21st, 1997. A little bit about myself. On my second day, I got a complete assistantship to do a master's program in this country. From that assistantship about 26, 25, 26 years ago, this country has been a gift that has never stopped giving, Arman. It's created a passion in me to not only just create a company that produces a profit, but to create a company that in some way, some magnanimous way gives back to this country something of unique value. And that is Alpha Omega Integration. Now, from that assistantship until today, this country has been a gift that has never stopped giving. I think we are a superpower, not because of our military strength, but because we give ordinary women and men like me a driven sense of purpose. That driven sense of purpose is is what created the mission of Alpha Omega Integration. Fantastic. You know, at the core, when you look at any country, when you look at any company, organization, and also any person, there is something at the core that differentiates that entity from others. When I talked with you last time, what I could say that what is at the core of Gotham in everything you have done and all of the stories, that fantastic stories and fascinating stories I've heard from you, I would say entrepreneurship is that core. What I could hear again and again, doesn't matter what you do at the core and the theme is entrepreneurship, that you have that kind of in you. From very early age, that was developed, that was what you enjoyed doing. And then sticking to some principles that you learned and then you said, based on this principle and being an entrepreneur, that's what I'm doing. And even moving to the United States is part of it. Absolutely, Arman. I started my entrepreneurial journey at a very young age. When I was 16 years old, I started an underage nightclub. I was living in Bangalore, South India, as an avenue of keeping generally 
kids my age occupied and also generating a business that produced a profit. I used a bulk of the profits in creating scholarships for students that weren't as fortunate as me in in going to the level of schools that I had done that was very self-fulfilling by itself. I came to the U.S. because I could pursue my master's in environmental engineering. I, I felt that a career in, in the environmental engineering field would prepare me well for the climate change challenge that was impending. Most of my publications and books are in the environmental engineering field with that education in order to improve my technology skills. I also had a stint in the, the dot-com bubble uh, where I led teams that you know, built parts of ToysRS.com and WebVan, which was then a part of Priceline.com. But thanks for kind of bringing that aptitude. Just having spent my initial entrepreneurial journey in giving back to communities, one of the things that I realized as I was going through my career I was working at that time in a company called QSSI that became infamous for the healthcare.gov implementation. And while I was working for them and growing through the corporate levels, I realized that, you know, from a personal satisfaction perspective, it wasn't as fulfilling just pursuing your career for yourself. And so I took a sabbatical and started a company called ENIAC, E-N-A-C, mainly to design a trans-esterification plant that used Jatropa. Jatropa is a destitute plant that grows around fields to keep cattle out in India. So ENIAC was uh, environmental technology company. We got 10 million seed funding to create an esterification plant that used Jatropa fruit. Basically, it's a destitute plant to create Jatropa oil, uh, which could be trans-esterified biodiesel. I went to India to get matching funds and create this, and I guess institute this plant in villages that didn't have electricity. So they could be self-sufficient. They could grow Jatropa, transesterify the Jatropa oil to biodiesel and, and get electricity. It was established in a couple of villages. However, I did I wasn't successful in getting matching funding to the seed funding I had. Four years later when I went, those those villages in remote India are still running on the same esterification plants and the system that I have Jatropa system I had created, you know, one very big lesson I learned from this venture, it may have failed as a business venture. You need to have a good business plan to be successful is what I learned. But it is also very fulfilling personally for me when you do things that are not only giving you a profit, but also giving back to communities in some way. So I started establishing in every future venture a kind of a balance between not only with family and work, but also with personal health and giving back to communities. I feel that this this a balance between this multi-pronged approach is a path for true fulfillment and success. Fantastic point. I think that's something that it's hard to do. I myself, you know, when I started my first company at the age of 18, first in university, 
I could not understand how important is the balance between things that matter to you, family, your company, business, your satisfaction with the kind of work you do as entrepreneur, the employees that you work, the team you are building that are so close to you, essentially the second family you are with. So all of those things and then the interactions, giving back, helping others, the impact you are making, not just the profit you are making. And all of that, it's just hard to keep balance of everything. And if you look at one aspect and say, I maximize this one, I maximize the profit, but nothing else matter. At the end, the life, the whole life will go out of balance. If you do it in an unhealthy way and it compromises your health, then nothing else matters because now you are going too far on one side or the other side. I think really optimization and keeping balance is the most difficult thing to do, but that's that's the whole art. That's the whole key to success. Absolutely, Arman. Words of wisdom. So no, that's great. What you say is makes perfect sense to me because you have found that balance early on and then you said, this is the balance I'm happy with and I wanted to keep that. And maybe as you said, that venture was not a success on the business side, but you got way more valuable thing out of it. And then you said, that's the balance. I need to make impact that goes side by side to, you know, other side of the business. Now at Alpha Omega integration, and that's a growing company, good size company. If I'm correct, the base and is in Washington DC area. What do you guys normally do? And where is the sweet spot? Where is the major area that you are focused on if there is any particular or maybe there are a number of things that you know you guys are focused on we are 100 percent in the federal contracting space again as i mentioned there were two reasons for creating alpha omega the first was i wanted a business that just didn't provide a profit but also gave back to this country that had given me an opportunity there was a second reason i've been fortunate to have continuously had opportunities to grow and develop in throughout my grow and develop in my career throughout my professional life and and i wanted to make these same opportunities available to friends and co-workers in alpha omega so they could kind of grow it gave me a lot a lot of satisfaction doing that these two purposes were the reasons for creating alpha omega once alpha omega was started the name of the game was focus we were completely in the federal contracting space within the federal contracting space we focus on three customers the department of state the department of homeland security and usda again there is a method to the madness there the mission of alpha omega was to enable the us government to be the best in the world it it sounds like an audacious mission but there is a meaning to this mission if you step back a little bit and ask yourself what is the purpose of the government you'll realize that there are many you know many details at the end of the day the purpose of the government is to increase or look in the best interests of their rulers or of their monarchs or whoever owns the government in case of a democracy is the government of the people and and, and working in the best interest is important uh, and therefore public safety and public development is the main purpose of the democracies or governments of the world 
Thus, looking at the Department of State, looking at the Department of Homeland Security worked in our best interests. That's where the mission of Alpha Omega comes from. In terms of work, there are three areas that we focus on primarily. It's low-code and high-end application engineering, multi-cloud, high-performance computing, serverless architecture. And, and the third one is robotics process automation, AI and ML. Now, the way we use it with our three main customers, USDA, Department of State and DHS, is we use it to increase mission entanglement. There are five things that make us very different. One, we tell our co-workers and employees who work on contracts not to do what a customer asks you to do, do what a customer needs to do. There's a subtle difference. I mean, most customers ask you to fix not really the root cause of a problem, but the effect of a problem. And so by going to the root cause, you're really helping a customer be more successful in achieving the mission. Now, before going into any opportunity, we ask ourselves, uh, what is it that we bring to the table from a business domain perspective that can help the customer be successful in the mission? The third is we don't go after an opportunity just because it implements some cool technology. We look and see how any technology can support the mission of an agency. So these are subtle differences. Fourth is we don't just win a contract and transition incumbent contractors. We invest in the skill set of the incumbent contractors so they can develop in their careers. We try to get a mix of outside perspective so they work in challenging the status quo and enhancing projects. So this is a little bit about what we do. Technology-wise, we're focused. Customer-wise, we're focused. Industry-wise, we're focused. Now, thinking about SaaS, how do you see SaaS in relation to government that you have seen? Fantastic question, Arman. So I spoke about a couple of things, right, about Alpha Omega. I spoke about how we like to be a lot more mission entangled. I spoke a little bit about generally the five distinguishing things about ourselves. So where SaaS is important. And in general, my question is that if, for example, you see more usage of SaaS inside government and the opportunities that you see even in the future with SaaS, because SaaS is more a model that, you know, you can serve, including government, you can serve organizations by providing them that software as a service rather than just as a technology, you give them the software. So it's more oriented around offering that solution and it's more offering toward taking the attitude that is forever. It's just continuation rather than it's a one-time event and you give them the that's and done. Do you see that applicable to government? To a large extent. And I think if you look at the mergers and acquisition space, or you look at the enterprise values of companies. And again, there are ways in which you can value companies merely by looking at the cash flows. But there are other ways you can value companies by looking at the multiples that they get in this industry. The multiples that SaaS providers have been getting in the federal contracting space has been referred to 
to being very close to the dot-com bubble. The reason is companies or uh, federal contractors that have very successful ServiceNow, Salesforce, Appian, OutSystems, or any such applications within uh, applications or people certified in that technology are really having very high valuations and you see large businesses buying them. Now, the reason is the industry is moving towards SaaS providers. The federal contracting space is moving towards SaaS providers because even in the services space, it's not important I mean, for, you know, the five reasons I said, right, it's not important to do what a customer asks you to do. It's important to do what a customer needs to do. And that is using technology to support the mission of the agency. When your customers tell you to fix something, it's important for you to take a step back and assess the request and and see what it does from a mission entanglement perspective from from making that customer successful in achieving their mission right and those two are very different things you know everybody talks about digital transformation the digital transformation is not only modernization it's also re-engineering the business and making sure the business aligns with with the mission so it's not about the technology it's more about the mission and when you prioritize the mission then the speed at which you can implement something a piece of software or a change in in the software is most critical it's not necessary that you have to build it from scratch and that's where i see sas will dominate the federal contracting space as it has in a large extent worked out in the commercial side if you go back, for example, five or 10 years ago, then definitely you could see some hesitation, some reservation, some concerns about, uh, you know, putting data in the cloud using, for example, services like AWS at those days. Is it fair to say at the moment those concerns are gone and there's no such a thing or still we are in the transition? We still are making good progress, but not completely out of you know, those kind of concerns. Another good question, right? See, a few years ago, the question was all about building something from ground up. So customers have more control on the technology. But as time progressed, people realized that, you know, they have it wrong, mostly on the federal side, right? See, for example, although we are a system integrator, we currently don't pursue opportunities because it implements some cool state-of-the-art technology merely for the technology's sake. We've pivoted to use technology as the enabler of a customer's mission. And customers have begun to realize that that is more important. On every opportunity to engage with our customers, we ask ourselves, hey, what is the mission of the agency? Followed by what value, business domain-wise, do we bring to this opportunity that, that is tied to the customer mission? Now, when you ask yourself this question, you're not talking about, hey, am I good with this technology? And so in even in the services space, it becomes important that, hey, am I certified and talented enough to use a platform to support the mission. And therefore, your inclination, right, is not to go with some of the 
old technologies, but what is the most convenient from a mission perspective. The focus has changed from technology to mission, and that's what's helping promote the the SaaS products as well as the cloud platforms, right? So if you look at the cloud platforms, also they are slightly different. I mean, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I told you I led the team that built parts of ToysRUs.com. It was a 300 server scaled application. If you really look at it, it was probably the biggest cloud at that time. It just wasn't called the cloud because of all the extensible features that you have today uh, in AWS or Google or Azure. So the reasons they have become a lot more important, focus has changed from technology to the mission and the use of technology is more to support the mission. So why would you spend time building custom software from ground up? Because, you know, control over, let's say, source code is not the most important. It's flexibility to support the mission that has become more important. Makes sense. You are working with, rightfully, some people name U.S. government the biggest corporation on earth, financially speaking. It is a huge entity financially. And you did not kind of, you know, create all the success you have today overnight. Of course, you have been in different capacities, in different roles. You have a lot of experience from different angles to get to where you are to understand that business. Now, if you wanted to provide some kind of advice, insight to assess a startup today. And the founder was in front of you saying that I wanted to start a SaaS company targeting this huge US government business. How do you see it? that ecosystem is growing? It's a great ecosystem to get involved. Is it the right time for a SaaS startup to come in and say, I wanted to, you know, just go ahead and just serve U.S. government with a SaaS company I'm going to create, assuming that that person understands the need and has a solution, of course. But what would be your advice to that person based on the experience you have? I think there is a huge potential for SaaS companies in the federal contracting space. The market share is currently being eaten up by companies that have been present for a very long time. And again, I don't want to really encourage someone saying, hey, you're starting from scratch. This is a great and untapped market. I mean, I personally feel that would be not advising someone in the right space. But the market share taken by prominent SaaS companies is just a scratch on a basketball, not a tennis ball, a basketball, right? There is a large amount of custom software that is currently available, right? That is gradually going to start moving towards SaaS. Now, the reason some of the early players are successful in the SaaS industry is because they've promoted their software in terms of certifications and therefore got a large number of people skilled with their software right? These are the three separate things. So if you have a SaaS platform, one, that has a very low learning curve in terms of using and adapting in this space, then it is definitely going to thrive. And the reason I say that is, you know, Arman, we spoke so much about being mission focused and the focus moving from technology to the mission. Now, if 
customers start valuing services companies that really understand their mission, then they're going to look for an implementation of software that is easy to use, doesn't need a huge learning curve, and, and so on and so forth. Right. And then that would make it easier to get into the space. So the question is very simple. Would you like to build a SaaS software that requires technical folks months to get certified in? Or do you look for a SaaS product that is kind of plug and play that any expert with the mission or business can seamlessly implement? The closer it is easy for a business mission, a subject matter expert to implement your software, the easier it is. And therefore, you want to try to make it as simple as possible and then reduce the learning curve. So ease of use is a big drive there. Also certifications available. So there are more people coming and certified and the talent is available is the key Some of these examples that you mentioned, like low-code technologies, for example, you know, the automation part and these kind of technologies are the one that also seems to have a really big business value, right? So they they can really leverage those automations and leverage those kind of technologies to have less resources and doing more. So whatever they can help to increase the productivity, it seems. Let let me clarify that a little bit, Arman. Yes, certifications are great, right? But today you have, I mean, and then let's, whether it's Salesforce, the Google Cloud Azure, AWS, et cetera, et cetera, the key is for someone to use it in the federal contracting space, right? Where everyone, as I said, should be focused on the mission of the customer, mission of the agency, right? Then the ease of use, to someone who's a, a business user or a mission subject matter expert who understands the mission of the agency, understands the business of the agency is the most important. And that does not necessarily work with getting certifications. When people have to get certifications to understand that SaaS product, it means there is a bigger learning curve. Today, AWS among the cloud vendors is killing the market only because of their ease to use, even though they have certifications. So let's think about tomorrow, if you have another SaaS product that you and I, and just to let you know, I'm as familiar with technology as a layman, right? I'm more passionate about the mission. I know enough of of technology to be dangerous. And so if me and you can see, and I'm just making this assumption, Arman, that you're not a technologist. If me and you can seamlessly install that software on your laptop or computer and start using it to build complex applications to support the mission, that platform will seamlessly grow in market share in the federal contracting space. The problem with the existing software as a service platforms today is they're not as easy for the business user or the mission subject matter expert. I understand. Now, thinking about SaaS as a kind of building that as a software, as a service versus just as a purely software that, you know, we give to people to use, what are the concerns and drawback and pushback of that model and the subscription model for federal government? 
right? Just thinking about federal government business, what are the drawbacks of that model for that kind of business? So honestly, I mean, if I understand your question correctly, you're asking me, what's the drawback of a licensing model? Yeah, subscription in general. So you are really not just giving them the software, you are really providing all of the servers and infrastructure, and it's really your software it's there as a service, as a subscription. It's not available as you just sell it one-time process and you're out and they use it forever. That's the old kind of way of looking at software versus now a service, not necessarily just a thing. There are a couple of uh, advantages and drawbacks. And the reason SaaS products have become a lot more prevalent is the mindset is changing from the use of software to something that is easy to use. When you have a subscription model, right, you pay a fixed fee or a slightly increasing fee year over year to get not only the existing platform, but all the enhancements of the platform that the software company provides, right? That is indispensable in the federal contracting space because the federal contracting space is based on appropriations or the budget assignments to the agency. So the budget and assignments are not only support the maintenance of the software, but also they keep adding enhancements or they keep adding additional budget amounts to enhancements in functionality and technology you might get. Now, customers are beginning to understand that this appropriations and budget availability works perfect with SaaS products. So you can get a base platform and as you improve the functionality, you can get more budget, make the budget support enhancements and your product daily continuously increases and you know makes you more successful time and again. The one disadvantage, which was the barrier for the entry of SaaS software was because it creates a level of entanglement. Let's say you build all your applications using Salesforce. Tomorrow, if you decide to change to Appian, you'll have to undo this entire thing, which is very, very, very difficult. If you start a subscription model, you have to continue with the same vendor for a long time. And therefore, that vendor lock-in is a disadvantage. You know, eventually, if you select the right software, you would be making a right choice going in. And therefore, you would continuously enhance your applications. You would make them build systems that support your mission from the earlier on. Yeah. Fantastic. May I ask you as the last question, what is your favorite book or favorite books that you have found them very useful? That's a great question, Arman, and I'm a voracious reader. My favorite author is Jim Collins. And so all three of his books, starting from the recent one uh, to the first one, Build to Last, Build to Succeed, these are the two main books that I've learned a lot from. And Good to Great as well. Sorry, yeah. The most favorite of his three books is Good to Great. And there are three concepts that have proved indispensable in the entrepreneurial journey, right? We've had a exponential growth from zero in or less than a million in August of 2016 to a slightly over 86 million August of 2022. And that's mainly because 
I can't attribute that to myself. It's mainly because of the leadership team that we have. And it follows on the concept of having the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus. The business that we are in was also selected based on our interests of what we are passionate about, what makes economic sense and what we're good in, right? Which is also a concept in this book. It's called the hedgehog concept. So these are some of the things that I'm citing from this book. Uh, There are a few others that really helped us be successful in this entrepreneurial journey. And it relates to the other point that you mentioned to me when we spoke last time that in your firm, you don't really do the org chart in a very traditional way. You really have more like these are the roles, functions, rather than just putting a person. Yeah, thanks for uh, reminding me about that. Although I talk about Jim Collins and his books, Good to Great, Built to Last and Built to Succeed, one thing that this brought me close to is an implementation of an operating system within the company. It's called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. At its base, it's accountability chart. You, you Instead of an organizational chart, you replace it with an accountability chart where you define the functions and the roles people are accountable for. It was indispensable in, you know, kind of leading and managing, you know, a team and keeping them accountable for functions. It probably is the one reason that helped helped us to grow as quickly as we did. These books aren't entrepreneurial operating system books are called Traction. Traction Rocket Fuel, and the third one is What the Heck is EOS? And Get a Grip is the fourth book. These four books are a must-read for any entrepreneur. Fantastic. Again, thank you very much for your time. It was great discussion, Gautam, and wish you a great day. Arman, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ishraq. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sascale.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.